Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Welcome to episode 22 of The Milkman of St. Gaffs, The Radio, Part 1. This is a serialized podcast, so you should start with episode 1. First off, a shout-out to our new patrons, Tristan Trutna, Fly Sprayer, and Gabriel Picard, Fly Sprayer. Thank you so much for your support. This show is written and recorded by me, Chris McClure, and I also do all the editing and the sound design, and I make some of the music as well. The support of patrons like you is what makes this show possible. When you sign up for Patreon, you'll get ad-free episodes, exclusive merchandise, and you'll have access to the patron-only podcast Once Out of Nature, which follows Naomi through events that take place in the not-too-distant future on St. Gaff's. You can find out more about those and other perks at patreon.com slash howiemilkman, or you can visit the website at howiemilkman.com. And again, thank you very much for listening. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gaffs, starring Howie the Milkman.
There comes a time in a man's life when he has to make some decisions about the kind of person he's going to be. Is he just going to go along with the crowd and do the same humdrum things that everyone else does? Or will he strike out ahead in some new direction no one's ever seen before? Me? I always felt that I was cut out for greatness. I knew what I wanted from life, and I knew how to get it. And on the other hand, there were people like Albert McMurdle. There he was, looking around in vain for a loose wire. A guy like that, with no direction? He'd never amount to much. I raised the wrench over my head and pointed with it. Right there. You don't see that loose wire? But the idiot must have been blind because he just kept staring like an idiot and not seeing anything. Where? Oh yes, I see it now. So just climb up there and tie it down. Am I going to get electrocuted? I thought for a moment about how I would answer. I didn't think there was any way he'd get zapped by those wires, but maybe there was a way to change that. Howie, is it safe? Of course it's safe. I do it all the time. You think I'd tell you to do something dangerous? Well, you did tell me to go down that hole. Look, are we going to send this message or not? It's twenty to four. We have to send the message at five. Oh, right. So he got on the ladder and went partway up the radio tower. I went into the shed and thought about turning the transmitter on. Even if there was only a little shock, it might be enough to make the pecker head fall. No one can blame me for that. But when I got inside, a much better idea flashed through my mind. I didn't have much time, so I closed the latch on the door, which would make it impossible for McMurdle to come in. I grabbed a screwdriver from the drawer of tools and unscrewed the back panel of the radio transmitter. My heart was pounding and I could feel my face getting red with excitement and suspense. With a bit of fiddling, I got the panel off. And there they were. A pair of them, the answers to all my prayers, shiny, round, and perfect, two military-grade vacuum tubes. As gently as I could, I grabbed them and pulled them out, and there was McMurdle already pounding on the door. Hey, it's locked. Let me in. Just a second. I tried not to get distracted while I wrapped the tubes up with some wax paper I'd used for my sandwich at lunch and I put them in my bag. Come on, what are you doing in there? I opened the door for him. Sorry, buddy, force of habit. I always lock the door when I'm sending messages. You never know who might be out there. Come on, we've only got a few minutes. McMurdle got out the sheet with the message we were supposed to send and sat down in front of the radio. How do I turn it on? Just turn the crank several times to prime the battery. Haven't you ever used a radio before? No, I haven't. This one? He twisted a dial that was obviously not a crank before I could answer. No, don't. That's the frequency oscillator. No, right there on the side. He turned the crank, and nothing happened, so he kept cranking. Does it take a while to work? No, well, yes, but the lights should come on right away. Then the battery kicks in and it stays on for a long time. It's almost five. What are we going to do? The idiot was looking really nervous, and I decided to really stick it to him. I looked carefully at the oscillator knob he'd turned. Did you turn this back to where it was? No, I didn't. I don't know where it was. Oh no, I think you must have screwed it up. 
He turned beet red and there was sweat all over his forehead. He stopped turning the crank. Can you fix it? I'm a milkman, not a radio engineer. You were supposed to just follow my instructions. I don't touch anything I'm not supposed to touch. So we can't send the message? Nope. What are we going to tell Mr. Corwin? We'll have to tell him the truth. You broke the radio, and now the Department of Lactic Affairs won't be getting the latest intelligence from this island. I was glowing inside as the peckerhead tried to think of different ways we could fix the radio or get the message across the channel. He even suggested using the telephone in the church. You ask Corwin about it if you want, but it seems to me that if they could just send these messages with the phone, they wouldn't have been sending me all the way out here every week. Come to think of it, I don't even know for sure who gets these messages. No, I think you have to bite the bullet on this one, pal of mine. You really messed up. Now, some people talk a lot when they're nervous, and it turned out that Albert McMurdle was one of those people. On the way back, he decided to give me an impromptu lesson on the geography of the island. He started listing the names of every Lomond on St. Gaff's. Lomonds are any mountain that's over 3,000 feet. I just about kicked him out the side of the milk truck, but then I remembered about the tubes and smiled. Now that I had those tubes, I could get that old radio at Mr. Greenwood's place working. I was finally going to be able to listen to Eliza Pike on the radio. And I'd really messed with McMurdle's mind. I'd just killed two birds with one stone. It was a pleasant evening. And once I tuned McMurdle out, I was able to enjoy the warm breeze in my face, the rolling hills. I thought to myself, life may throw a lot of lemons at you, but if you can learn how to dodge them, you can accomplish anything. I was just a kid on the street looking for any old job, but now, not only had I become a high-ranking milkman, I'd learned to maneuver around the politics of a very complicated organization. Everyone thought McMurdle was the golden boy with the bright future, but now I think it was becoming clear to everyone that I was the one who was going to succeed. But then he got quiet for a minute and changed the topic of his monologue. So, Howie, have you been over to Stormy's house lately? Sure. You guys spend a lot of time together, I suppose. Right. Did you ever stay over there at the house? I knew what he was getting at, but I wasn't going to fall for it. Look, I'm not going to help you with your investigation. Corum put you on the case, so Mr. Greenwood's your responsibility now. He didn't say anything after that. Point, Howie Coxwell. I'd outsmarted him again. We pulled into town, and it was getting dark. That wonderful evening stillness was setting in, and I wanted to see if I could maybe get the tubes into the radio and get it working before Stormy and Mr. Greenwood went to bed. But then Bright Boy had other ideas. I really think we should go see Mr. Corwin right away. He gets up even earlier than we do. We can't do anything about it tonight anyways. We did not complete the task that he set out for us, and it is our duty to let him know immediately. If I was the boss, I would want to know right away. I supposed he was right, but holy cow, was he annoying. Just as I'd expected, Corwin must have been sleeping because it took him a while to get to the door, and he looked a bit disheveled, but he was still wearing his uniform. Maybe he wore it to bed sometimes like me to save time. 
I'm sorry to say that we were not able to send the message. There was a moment of freezing cold silence. Why not? We had a problem with the radio. I was showing him how to operate the radio and he just started twisting the wrong dials and then the radio wouldn't start. Coxwell's instructions were not clear enough. My instructions were fine. You're not supposed to just start pushing buttons and pulling knobs all over the place. Quiet. I could see that Corwin was turning over in his mind various things he could do to McMurdle. But that's what you get when you send someone incompetent to do a job instead of someone who knew what they were doing. But I held my tongue. I was sure he'd come to the same conclusion on his own eventually. But he just stood there pondering until... Ryan's been doing a good job of spraying for flies, but it's just about time for the quarterly deep cleaning of the distributor. I want you boys to take care of that, right now, tonight. I could hardly believe my ears. I'd just explained that the whole mess was McMurdle's fault, and yet here I was getting punished just like him. I knew better than to protest. I chalked it up to me being the commanding officer who was responsible for the stupidities of his subordinates. I made a mental resolution to be stricter with McMurdle in the future. So there we were, unscrewing all the pipes of the machine that takes the milk from the big vats and puts it into bottles. It was gross work. Everything was pretty clean in the milk station, on the surface, but I guess over time, a lot of grunge builds up in the little nooks and crannies you can't see. So we had these wire pipe cleaners, and we had to scrape all this old milk gunk off the threads of every pipe. If I'd been alone, the job would have been done really fast, but with McMurdle there examining every single piece of pipe, even the parts no one would see, it was going to take us all night. There was no way I was going to see Stormy now. And all because this buffoon had to mess up the radio. I looked over at him, holding the pipes up close to his face and studying them, scraping a bit and looking again. The pipe cleaner I was using slipped and scratched my finger. Ouch! You know, you really are an idiot. As the ranking person here, I'm ordering you to finish this and I'm leaving. At this, he stiffened and stood up. He looked mad, which I'd never really seen before. You'd better watch what you say, Howie. You stole my girlfriend, but I let it slide because I thought we were friends. If I hadn't gotten hurt when I went down the hole, I would have been promoted first and you know it. Okay, take it easy. If it means that much to you, I'll stay. It's not like you have anything else to do. It was about one o'clock in the morning before we were done. We walked out onto the street. My uniform was sticky and sweaty, but there was a cool, refreshing breeze and the moon was bright. It felt good to be outside. McMurdle and I both stopped and took a deep breath as we got out. We'd had our differences, and I still thought he was a complete peckerhead, but I felt a little bit less annoyed with him now. Well, I'm off. See you in the morning. Yeah, see you. He went his way, and I went mine. I walked past Billy in the parking lot. I thought I heard a squirrel or something running around, but I didn't think much of it until later. I had to get home quick if there was any chance I was going to get any sleep tonight. I put my hand in my bag and felt them. The tubes were still there and still intact and just waiting to be used. I couldn't wait. Thinking about it put some pep in my step. Then I saw, just out the corner of my eye, 
the same gargoyle I'd seen the other night, just for a second. But I wasn't going to let it bother me. I wasn't going anywhere tonight no matter what. Even when I heard something tittering, I just quickened my pace even more and concentrated on where I was. I focused single-mindedly on getting home. But then, there was this growing sound. It seemed to be echoing from the hills outside of town. Or was it close? It sounded like dogs. I looked around because I was getting nervous. I thought I saw one running down an alley. It didn't look like the hound that had followed me for so long. It was gray and long. Wolves. They were howling. One ran across the road, and I could have sworn that it ran right through the wall of a shop. One was standing in the distance ahead of me, just standing there and growling, so I turned down the wrong street. I was off track and found myself on the pier, trying to get away. I couldn't tell if they were following me or just running around aimlessly, but one thing was sure, these wolves were really here. I heard a woman scream. I crouched behind a stone wall and saw Mrs. Pyman running down the pier. Her clothes were all ragged and full of holes. Three wolves were chasing her and catching up fast. I couldn't watch as they attacked her. It was a horrible thing, but if you don't bathe or take care of yourself, of course you're going to get attacked by dogs. Then, just like that, the dogs seemed to run off in some other direction, and I could hear Mrs. Pyman sobbing and crying. I peeked out and saw, down the pier, Mrs. Pyman in a crumpled heap, and a figure I couldn't make out sort of wandering aimlessly away from her. I rushed out to see if Mrs. Pyman was okay, even though I knew the wolves might come back, since that's the kind of guy I am. I looked around for the figure, but it was gone. Mrs. Pyman had bites on her arms and legs, and she really stank. She was pretty shaken up. I tried to help her to her feet. Hey, Mrs. Pyman, come on, get up. We've got to get to Dr. Barrett. You, did you bring them? What? The wolves? No, you're hurt. Come on. I managed to get her up, and slowly but surely we limped off towards the doctor's office. It was taking forever, and there was no way I was going to get much sleep tonight. It was very annoying. But then she suddenly froze for no reason, shook my arm off, and said, Leave me alone! and she hobbled off down some street. This was the second time I'd had to help Mrs. Pyman out. I'd tried to get her fixed up with a place to stay at the church, and now I'd rescued her from a pack of wolves. But some people, you just can't help no matter how much you want to. So I let her go and walked home. Then I got scared, frantically felt inside my bag. Thank God. In all the commotion, the tubes were still fine. I could hardly sleep, and after a lot of tossing and turning and thinking I was awake when maybe I was asleep, I just decided to get up early and go to work. When I got to the parking lot, I noticed that I'd forgotten to put the wooden planks back on the hole in the far end where no one ever goes, and now the hole was quite a bit bigger. I made a mental note to cover it back up when I had some time. A bit ahead of schedule, I took the coast road out to see Travis and Naomi. This was my favorite part of my route. It was another beautiful day and another beautiful dawn. I tried to push away all the unpleasantness of last night, but then I remembered. This is where I'd seen that weird gargoyle, on this very road months ago. How strange. 
When I got to the fisherman's house, Travis came out to meet me. Everything okay, Howie? Sure, why wouldn't it be? He looked puzzled. You don't look well. It was a late night. Say, does Naomi still have that gargoyle, the stone one? His face got dark. Why do you ask? What were you doing last night? Oh, I was up late working, and then I thought I saw... It was nothing. And then he changed the subject. I'm surprised to see you here, Howie. I was getting the bottles out of the truck. Really? Why? And then I heard another truck. I looked down the road. The blood drained from my face. It was McMurtle. In my delirium, I'd accidentally gone out on my old route, and I was going to be really late with my own deliveries. Uh, I'm in charge of McMurtle, so I came out just to make sure he was doing his rounds properly. But now I have to go. Without another word, I put the bottles back, popped in the truck, and turned it around just as McMurtle was arriving. I didn't say a thing to him, since I didn't feel like explaining myself. Hey, Howie, did you forget your route this morning? So I went on my rounds. I didn't much like the new route. Instead of going to see Travis and enjoying the dawn and then getting to look at all the rich houses around Mercy and Grand, I delivered milk to the poorer parts of town around where I lived. More clapboard row houses and a lot of shipbuilders. A lot of the people were from Mingsbite and came just to build the ships. Lots of wives with their husbands off in the war came to work, old men with no families, some men who couldn't fight for one reason or another. Some came alone to work and left their families back in the city. Those ones mostly ended up hitting the bottle. As I was dropping off a couple bottles at one house, some guy came up to me. Psst! Hey, milkman! I got a tip for you! He wasn't so steady on his feet, and I figured he was drunk. Oh yeah? What's that? My neighbor. He's always writing letters. Get it? Letters. I watch him through the window. Pages and pages, he writes, but I ain't never seen him mail any of them. See? You see, right? Thanks, we'll look into it. For some reason, rumors had spread that the milkmen were really interested in getting neighbors to rat each other out. Especially in this much sadder part of town, they seemed to think there would be some kind of reward if they discovered that their neighbors were traitors. At lunch, I ate my sandwich in my truck and reread the last episode of Eliza Pike. And it really was the last episode, because this was the last one that was going to be printed. From here on out, she would just be on the radio. Eliza had discovered that Matilda Moonrose was hiding the children in an old cabin high in the snowy mountains. She'd made her way by steamship to the closest town to the mountains, hired some tough local guides, armed herself with guns and knives and tents and ropes, and set off. How Matilda had gotten the children up there, no one knew. But on and on Eliza went, through a blizzard and across a scary rope bridge. They'd been attacked by a snow bear, and all of Eliza's guides had run away. But Eliza was totally determined. And then, just before sunset on the third day, she saw smoke curling up in the distance. And after another mile or so across the glacier, she spotted the black cabin where Matilda was holed up. When Eliza got pretty close, Matilda came out of the cabin with a big smile on her face and an even bigger rifle in her hands. I've been expecting you, Eliza Pike. Where are the children, Matilda Moonrose? 
but Matilda just started to laugh, an evil laugh. (laughs) Where are they? Eliza demanded, but Matilda just kept laughing. And, just then, from all around, the children appeared, but they all had a dazed, brainwashed look on their faces, and they were armed with knives and guns of their own, and they were all closing in on Eliza. And then Matilda roared with laughter. Like I said, I've been expecting you. We've all been expecting you. What a cliffhanger. This was the final showdown, and I couldn't wait to see how Eliza would get out of it. After work, I saw Mr. Corwin coming out of the church with a bunch of papers. I sort of waved, and I was pretty sure he saw me, but he just hurried up in the direction of the milk station. Then I noticed Father Whelan looking through the partly open church door. When he saw me, he stepped out in motion for me to come over. Listen, Howie, you've got to talk to McMurdle for me. He says he can't go to Granard's during work hours and get me a sandwich. I'm a busy man, and I can't take the time to walk all the way over there every day. I'm sorry to hear that, Father Whelan. Could you talk to him? Try to make him see reason. I even offered him half a Rupert, but he wouldn't budge. I don't know, he's pretty by the book, but I'll ask him. Corwin's always saying we need to have good relations with the civilians in town, so maybe I'll put it to him that way. Thanks, Howie. I I knew I could count on you. Hey, what was Mr. Corwin doing in the church anyways? Oh, nothing, nothing, just a small matter. I couldn't believe what a silly guy McMurdle was. I'd been getting sandwiches for Father Whelan for a quarter, Rupert, and McMurdle wouldn't even do it for twice that. Later, at Mr. Greenwood's house, I showed him the tubes I'd found. We pulled the old radio out from under the bench outside, and it was still in fine shape. Those military radios are really built to last. Mr. Greenwood took the back panel off, and we were both really excited to see that the tubes I'd found fit perfectly. Can we turn it on? I'm afraid not, Howie. This is battery-powered. What does that mean? That we can't use it? No, I didn't say that, but looks like it takes a standard battery pack. You can get one at McMurdle's Dry Goods. In case you forgot, McMurdle's parents ran a dry goods store that apparently sold battery packs. I can get the battery tomorrow, Stormy said, and then we can listen on Saturday. I'm not sure you'll get any I couldn't wait. It was like a dream come true. I never thought I would actually be able to get the radio working in time for the season finale. On Saturday, Stormy came over in the afternoon like we'd planned. I was excited all day. I took a bath and tried to clean the place up. I put on my best clothes and could hardly wait for her to get there. I actually thought I might get exhausted just from the excitement of waiting. Not only were we planning to listen to Eliza Pike on the radio for the first time, we'd also been talking about taking the next steps in our relationship. When she finally got there, she had that blue flower perfume on, and when she came in, it was like when you open the shutters in a dark room and the sun shines in. She was smiling, and I was smiling. I just grabbed her in my arms, and we started kissing and kissing. We moved on to the bed, and after a lot more kissing, I decided to take a chance. I got her shirt off. I fiddled with the bra for a while. 
but it was no use, and Stormy had to undo the hooks herself. I made a mental note to buy one of those things from Laney's downtown so that I could practice at home. I didn't want that to happen again. But there they were, right in front of me, the answers to all my prayers, round, perfect, and glowing. I reached out to touch them as gently as I could, but I guess Stormy was ticklish because she laughed and brushed my hands away. Then she took my hands and planted them firmly. Nothing had ever felt so right in my hands before. After that, we kissed and rolled around on the bed. I'm not sure how long we were at it because the sun was going down when we were done. Ready? I'm ready. You've got the battery? I do. I grabbed the radio and Stormy grabbed the last issue of the Taolaw Runner. She had the battery in her purse. When we left the room and went up the stairs, we bumped into Mrs. Summertag, the landlady. Oh, hi, Howie. Where are you two off to? Oh, I guess I missed my floor, I said. Come on, let's go back. But I thought we were... Come on. I got Stormy back down with me, and we went back to my room. She doesn't like anyone to go on the roof. Let's just wait a second until she's gone. When we didn't hear her anymore, we snuck up the stairs, then up the little ladder that led to the roof. We were giggling and excited to be sneaking up there. I pushed the hatch off and we climbed up. And then we just stood there. The sky was blood red with the sunset. And it looked like the whole town and the sea were blazing with fire. We could hear the town below. But it all seemed quiet and unreal up here. And it put us in a quiet mood too. Like the whole world was there just for us. I felt like my whole life was leading up to this. Let's get this thing working. Without much talking, I got the back flap off the radio and we put the battery in. Then we looked up the numbers of the radio station in the magazine. The show was going to be on at 7, and it must have been close to 7 now. Thank you.